Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And welcome to episode number 102 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And much to the delight of every person who has ever disagreed with me on the internet, I'm doing this directly from my parents' basement. That aside, Tony, how was your Christmas? There you go. There you go. So next time somebody says, hey, you, you do your stuff out of your parents' basement, they may have a point. But anyway, my Christmas is great, as I hope yours was. I hope everyone's holidays were great, whether it be Christmas, Hanukkah. Uh, I guess we're in the middle of Kwanzaa now, Festivus, whatever it may be. I hope it was enjoyable. It always comes and goes too quickly for my liking anyway. Absolutely. And we'll take a quick look through some of the upcoming bowl games heading through next Monday. But first, a word from our sponsor. Now, Tony, it's the holiday season, a busy time for all, as I just mentioned, but especially football analysts with bowl season really at full bore right now. So let's talk about sleep. You know, Chris, listen to these studies from Harvard and John Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. It also leads to a lot of crankiness, which I'm feeling right now because I did not get eight hours of sleep last night. That seems to be a trend with you, Tony. And the problem is, in addition to that, it's not just how long you sleep, but how you sleep. One of sleep's biggest problems is temperature, and it's tough to get a good sleep if you're too hot. We want to tell you about the Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. So if you like the bed cool and your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. So if you're sleeping next to someone who's really hot, you know, you always got to cool down. There's a way to do it. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. Try the pod for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. They already sold out of their first two batches. So these are going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash pro. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. 8sleep.com slash pro. Check it out. Now we've got a couple of good games Saturday at noon, starting with the Camping World Bowl. Notre Dame against Iowa State. Fighting Irish are 10-2, coming in with five straight wins. Already clinched their third straight 10-win season after an awful 2016 the Cyclones, on the other hand, limped into the postseason at 7-5, and five, lost three of their last five games. The unit to watch here, obviously the Notre Dame defense. Top talent both up front and on the back end. Defensive ends Julian Aquara, Khalid Kareem, and Dalen Hayes, along with defensive tackle Kurt Hinnish. All four of these guys are going to be drafted. Aquara and Kareem have the potential to go very high in the draft. Aquara, unfortunately, won't play due to a fibula injury suffered in November. Back in the secondary, Cornerback Troy Pride Jr. comes highly graded. We will see both him and Khalid Kareem at the Senior Bowl in a few weeks. Safeties Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman 
also have pro futures. What are you watching for from this side of the ball, Tony? And it's sad that Aquaro isn't going to be able to play. But, I mean, this is a game that Notre Dame defensively should dominate because Iowa State just does not have the horses, although Iowa State's a, a well-coached team. You mentioned Aloha Gilman. I said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I'm hearing he is going to enter the draft. If he does right now, I have a fourth-round grade on him. He was given a fourth-round grade by scouts who great underclassmen coming into the year. One guy to keep an eye on who I think is really underrated and does not get enough mention. You know, you, you mentioned Kareem, you mentioned Troy Pride, Dalen Hayes, who's kind of fallen off a bit because the fact that they just have so many good defensive linemen at Notre Dame. I gave him a fourth round grade. There were some scouts who gave him a third round grade coming into the season. There were some scouts who think he's undrafted. I just think he's one of the gems. He's a guy to keep an eye on, not only in this game, but in, in the pre-draft process, I think he's going to be a late day, uh, last day steal. Yeah, I mean, you always have guys like that that play behind. Guys who are going to get drafted high, they don't see as much action. So people just don't have them on their radars. If we want to flip sides of the ball here, the Irish also have some talent at the skill positions on offense. Chase Claypool is one of many viable bigger receivers in this draft. Strong hands, great body control and concentration. Moves pretty well for his size, but he's not going to play either due to a right shoulder injury. Tight end Cole Komet, like Claypool, also has great hands, a my ball mentality when the ball is in the air, enough speed to threaten the seam. Reportedly received a second round grade from the committee. He's still undecided on his NFL future, though. Guard Aaron Banks is a potential mid round pick. Small area blocker, good power, nasty attitude. Not someone you want pulling in motion, reaching out to the second level, but nonetheless a very solid player. And Claypool takes a lot of the luster out of this game as far as the Notre Dame offense is concerned. Iowa State's got a decent defense. They play above their heads. I was surprised that Komet got that second-round grade. I gave him a six-round grade. Coming into the season, some scouts gave him basically a, a free agent grade. He's played very well. But the thing about Komet is what are his size, speed numbers? What are his computer numbers? Because while he's a good football player, he just doesn't seem like a real great athlete. And if he decides to enter the draft and he comes in about 200, 235 pounds and he's running in the four eights, as a lot of people project, he's going to drop into the last day of the draft, into the late rounds, a la Caden Smith from a year ago, uh, who a lot of people thought was going to be an early pick, a top 45 pick. And then he ran the four eights at the combine and he dropped into the late rounds. Now, also at noon Saturday, we have the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic between Penn State and Memphis. The Tigers are 12-1, and one, average over 40 points per game. On the other hand, the Nittany Lions, 10-2, and two, and they allow only 14 points per game. Both of those numbers are top 10 in the nation. Memphis's offense is led by junior quarterback Brady White. He's a 2021 draft prospect, but it also features 2020 prospects in running back Patrick Taylor and tight end Joey Magnifico. Taylor returned from injury in mid-November. He's kind of taken a backseat in that backfield to freshman Kenneth Gainwell but still an intriguing prospect for the next level. Magnifico had watched his receiving role kind of scaled back of late, only had five catches in his past six games. Not going to play in this one due to a knee injury. Thoughts on the Memphis prospects, Tony? Yeah, and, and you know, the Memphis coach is also not going to coach in this game because he's now at Florida State, which is kind of a bummer because he, he was able to uh, really make mountains out of molehills. You know, Memphis, on paper, should get waxed by uh, Penn State. Uh, you mentioned Brady White. Patrick Taylor has been uh, was injured for most of the year. Now he's getting healthy. He's going to play at the Shrine game. Keep an eye on Antonio Gibson, the uh, Memphis wide receiver, who actually filled in the last game as a running back 
uh, because of injuries. He's an all-purpose guy. He was someone, a junior college transfer who came into the season not graded by scouts. Right now, you're looking at Antonio Gibson as a potential seventh-round pick, primarily a receiver who can also run reverses for you, do some returning. Uh, but keep an eye on Gibson against that Penn State defense, which, uh, you know, is good up front and also has some solid players in the secondary. Yeah, and as expected with some of the numbers I rattled off and just what we know about this defense, a lot of prospects for the Nittany Lions on that side of the ball. Defensive end, Yatir Gross Matos, 14 tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks this season. Easy speed off the edge, burst through the gaps, just an excellent pass rusher. Cornerback Tariq Castro-Fields and safety Jonathan Sutherland are anchoring the secondary on the back end there. We discussed Castro Fields back in November when he played kind of poorly in that loss to Minnesota that knocked Penn State from the ranks of the unbeaten. On the offensive side of the ball, K.J. Hamler is a big play threat for the Nittany Lions at wide receiver, electric with the ball in his hands, protects pass as well with his body, occasionally double catches some balls, but that's just a small knock on his game. Also a few offensive linemen, Steven Gonzalez at guard and Will Fries at tackle that have some draft intrigue as well. Tony, what intrigues you most about Penn State's prospects? Well, it's going to be Hamler and his speed, his game-breaking speed. I mean, how does Memphis stop that? Hamler, I'm told, is going to enter the draft. He's getting some first-round uh, conversation because he is so explosive. He can score from any point in the field. You give him a little bit of space, and he is gone. He's also a very good receiver. He just doesn't have great size. He's sort of like Marquis Brown uh, from a year ago. Two guys to keep an eye on who are going to be last-day picks. You touched on one of them. Players that I think uh, Memphis is going to have a tough time stopping. Steven Gonzalez, I don't see how they penetrate past him. I have him as a six-round pick. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's big. He's stout. He plays physical football. And Robert Windsor, the defensive tackle, I have him as a fourth, fifth-round pick right now. He's not as athletic as Gross Matos, but he's explosive. He's incredibly quick. And he has a motor that just doesn't stop. You know, if it's not Gross Matos coming off the edge, I think it's Robert Windsor slicing through double-team blocks on the inside or a situation where Memphis may have to uh, double-team Robert Windsor, which will open things up for Gross Matos. Robert Windsor doesn't get the headlines of his teammate, doesn't make as many splash plays, but he's a guy who's there consistently doing the little things well. Now, next up Saturday, we obviously have the two college football playoff semifinal games. We won't go too deep on them since we really could do an entire episode on these games. But these four teams are obviously loaded. All of them have draftable quarterbacks as well, whether it's this year or next year. LSU and Oklahoma are battling at 4 p.m. in Atlanta. Joe Burrow, really the story of the 2019 season, went from a late-round prospect to the Heisman Trophy winner and likely number one overall pick in next year's draft. But what I'll be watching is Jalen Hurts, another great story, really, at quarterback, has a great connection with wide receiver C.D. Lamb. But LSU's secondary is just unreal in terms of the talent they have. Christian Fulton, Kerry Vincent Jr., Grant Delpit, all those guys are going to be high picks in the next two drafts. Then you have Derek Stingley Jr., already a star as a true freshman. An underrated matchup inside to watch in this game. It's going to be Oklahoma defensive tackle Neville Gallimore against LSU guard Damian Lewis. Gallimore is the better prospect, so we'll have to see how Lewis can hold up in that one. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one, especially with uh, Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb against that LSU secondary. You know, you mentioned how both of these games, they not only have draftable quarterbacks, they got quarterbacks that are going to be top five selections. I mean, obviously, you want to see Jalen Hurts. This is going to be the toughest test of, his, of the season. And he's shown a lot of great things this year. He's shown that he's really developing from a 
athlete into a passer. I, I love his game this year. I like the things he's shown. He's getting it between the ears. It's starting to click. He's showing great patience. He's showing great accuracy, good decision-making. But it's one thing to beat up on Big 12 defenses, and it's another thing to do it against the secondary and the guys in the LSU defensive backfield, which you just mentioned. I mean, two of them that are first-round picks in 2020, and then Stingley, who's going to be, you know, could be the earliest of all the selections, and don't forget about Kerry Vincent. So, obviously, you, you know, you want to sit back and, and see what kind of decision-making Jalen Hurts uh, does or, or what kind of decisions he makes during the game. That's the better way for me to say it against such a talented defense, because if they're not rushing him off the edge with, with chase on and guys like that, you know, when that ball's up in the air, he better be right on the mark for CD lamb. And this is a big contest for CD lamb as well. I mean, people have been falling over themselves with lamb saying that he's a top 12 pick. I like lamb. You know, he stepped out of the shadows of Marquis Brown. He's really, uh, established himself as that number one guy at Oklahoma and has established himself as a legitimate NFL prospect. But again, playing against the Texas secondary, playing against the West Virginia secondary is one thing. Playing against the LSU secondary is basically like playing against an NFL type of secondary. So this is a huge game for both Jalen Hurts and C.D. Lamb. Now, everybody's talking about the rematch between Clemson and Ohio State. Obviously, back in 2016, the Tigers shut the Buckeyes out in that game. This one should be really fun, especially when we're watching the Clemson offense against the Ohio State defense. Not quite on the level of LSU, but the talent in the OSU secondary is pretty ridiculous as well. Jeffrey Akuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade, all these guys at corner are early round prospects. T. Higgins for Clemson really reasserted himself this year as the alpha in the Clemson passing game. Everyone wanted to talk about Justin Ross after his big freshman season, but Higgins had his best year yet. The Buckeyes also have the linebacker talent in guys like Malik Harrison to match up with Travis Etienne. Chase Young is the presumed number two overall pick behind Joe Burrow right now. He'll be chasing Trevor Lawrence down all game. Obviously, you have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, two guys who are going to go very high in the 2021 draft, assuming they declare. So that'll be a nice matchup to watch, but that's not the only one. Obviously, there are lots of things to watch in this game, especially when Clemson has the ball. Uh, this is a game for everybody. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about a, a game that has been as enjoyable. And I thought about, you remember that Penn State USC Rose Bowl game about three years ago, Sam Darnold's uh, rookie season that went into uh, overtime. And it was the type of game where you, you would have enjoyed if they played eight quarters. And I think that's really, the this game has that sort of makings. I mean, you hit on the big matchup the Clemson receivers against the Ohio State cornerbacks. And that is a massive matchup. Uh, one of the more underrated matchups, I think, is the Clemson offensive line. You mentioned Chase Young, but you know what? Uh, the, uh, the Ohio State defensive line has got a, a good number of players, a good number of next-level players. David Hamilton, uh, for example, Robert Landers, uh, Jonathan Cooper. I mean, these are guys, obviously – they take a back seat to Chase Young for obvious reasons, justifiable reasons. But these are guys who are going to play at the next level. And you look at that uh, Clemson offensive line, John Simpson, the guard, who's a third-round pick. Uh, you go down the line uh, with, with the rest of those players. Uh, Tremaine Antrim, who's the left tackle who projects to guard at the next level. Sean Pollard, who's a late-round pick, is the starting center, has played guard or tackle. So really – I mean, that's another good matchup that Clemson has to win, in my opinion, to really be in this game. I know a lot of people are picking Clemson, Clemson, Clemson. 
I just don't see it. And I don't see it because of the fact that I think you touched on the uh, uh, Munford, the uh, Ohio State uh, tackle. Ohio State has got an incredible offensive line. They don't have any top, early uh, top 15 picks, but overall it is an underrated, undervalued unit. And I just don't see how the Clemson defensive line is going to get uh, really much uh, penetration uh, besides maybe blitzing Isaiah Simmons on occasion. If they blitz Isaiah Simmons, beware of Justin Fields because he'll beat him through the air or on the ground. Now, before we hit the Monday bowl games, Tony, let's quickly discuss Washington quarterback Jacob Eason, or should I say more accurately, former Washington quarterback Jacob Eason, as he did declare for the draft this week, coming off that 38-7 bowl win over Boise State. He was decent in that game, but an up-and-down year overall, 64.2% completion percentage, 7.7 yards per attempt, 23 touchdowns, and eight interceptions on the stat sheet. On the field, he's got the arm strength, throws with nice touch at times, very accurate in the short field, can lead receivers into yards after the catch. But Eason is not very mobile. Pressure can move him off his spot and really lead to some bad decisions. In a lot of ways, Eason is still a work in progress, which is to be expected after not playing for so long. But with Coach Chris Peterson leaving, Eason decided to follow suit here. What are your thoughts, Tony? It was kind of strange because Washington hired from within uh, for their next head coach. I I thought the decision was premature. I I mean, I was told all along that he was really examining the process. He being Eason, he had not come to a decision. Uh, He was going to get a lot of opinions. I was kind of surprised that he announced this early that he was declaring for the draft, especially when he had almost another month to make his decision. I agree with you. I think the decision's premature. Hasn't played a lot of football the last three years. I agree with you about the inconsistency. I think the comparisons can be drawn to Drew Locke in the sense that the guy's got great physical skills as far as his arm talent, as far as his ability to make all the throws. The guy makes some beautiful passes on occasion. He's a guy who gets the ball through the tight windows, but there's just too much inconsistency. There's too much bad decision-making at time. Sometimes his accuracy gets way away from him, and that is a dangerous thing at the quarterback position. And you factor it in where, unlike Drew Locke, Jacob Eason doesn't have a big body of work on the college level in large part due to the transfer. And remember, I mean, and I like Jacob Eason, but there was talk at the beginning of the college season that Jacob Eason wasn't named the starter at Washington until very late in the process, until right before the season began. I think this was a premature decision. Quarterbacks that don't have big bodies of work on the college level, it eventually turns around to bite them uh, in the NFL. I think he would have been better suited uh, to go back to Washington for another season. I mean, that said, with that size, with that arm strength, with the show he's going to put on at the combine and ability to get the ball down the field with a flick of the wrist, somebody's going to fall in love with Eason and take him in the top 45 selections. And you mentioned Locke having a bigger body of work than Eason. Locke was also a better athlete than Eason. So when Eason is pressured, he's not a guy that can escape. Locke can escape a little bit. So that comparison is apt, but there's another advantage that Locke has that Eason does not, which is only going to hurt at the NFL level. If you look at Dwayne Haskins this year, you want to talk about guys without big bodies of work. He struggled when thrown into the fire. He got a little bit better over the past few games. You do see some signs of progress, but these guys come in and they've started maybe, you know, Haskins started for one year in college. Eason has a little bit more under his belt, but a lot of that is several years ago. And that's going to be a tough transition for any player, especially one without that level of experience. And don't forget, Haskins was much better, was a much better college quarterback, a much more consistent college quarterback in 2018 than Eason was in 2019. 
Absolutely. And we'll move on to those Monday bowl games. They obviously don't pack the same punch as the Saturday games. We will start quickly with the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl with Western Kentucky and Western Michigan. Both teams finished the season well to secure bowl bursts, three wins in each of their final four games. Not really a ton to discuss here prospect-wise, though, Tony. Anything particularly you're watching for? You know, Western Michigan has Jalen Moore, an underclassman tackle who could be draftable next year. I think there's no draftable players, primarily free agents. Keep an eye on Levante Bellamy, the running back from uh, Western Michigan. Smaller but explosive guy that's great in space. And Luke Jeriga, great story. Wasn't even mentioned by scouts coming into the year. If you read me over the summer, I had him as a priority free agent. Has really moved up draft boards. Will be at the Shrine game. Very much a workman-like type of center. Doesn't have the great athleticism, but is tough, intelligent, and knows the position. At 4 p.m., we have the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl between Mississippi State and Louisville. Cardinals offensive tackle Makai Becton already declared for the draft. He'll skip this game. The top remaining Louisville players are wide receivers Des Fitzpatrick and Seth Dawkins, which isn't all bad because the Bulldog strength is in the secondary. Unfortunately, we won't see cornerback Cam Dantzler, who, like Becton, declared for the draft and will skip this bowl game, much to the chagrin of teammate and prospect in his own right, linebacker Erol Thompson, who actually tweeted his disdain for the decision by Dantzler. But safeties Brian Cole and Jaquarius Landrews will be there to support on the back end. We'll see Cole at the Senior Bowl in a couple weeks. Both of these guys struggled a bit against LSU when we discussed them on the show back in October. Hopefully they can bounce back a bit here. Yeah, I guess the, the, the big headlines from this game is who's not playing in the game. I mean, a minor bowl game. You wish both of those guys would have played. Big game for Brian Cole, especially against this uh, aerial attack of, of Louisville. You mentioned the two receivers. Uh, Louisville, really going back to the days of Petrino, were, were a lethal passing offense. The thing with Brian Cole is he's well-liked within the scouting community. He's made a major move up draft boards, came into the season as a – Priority free agent, late round guy. Some scouts have him uh, as high as the uh, fourth round right now. I question his ability to make plays when the ball's in the air. He's more of a strong safety, up the field, box type of uh, defensive back. Want to see him against Louisville uh, passing offense, see if he shows any sort of range and ball skills. And another 4 p.m. kick is the Red Box Bowl between Cal and Illinois. Another notable absence in Cal safety, Ashton Davis. He's not skipping the game, but he Underwent a surgical procedure. No further details on that one, but it will keep him out. Obviously, his status for the Senior Bowl is uncertain. Fellow safety Jalen Hawkins is a late rounder himself. Golden Bears quarterback Chase Garbers recently returned from injury to lead the team to road wins over Stanford and UCLA to close out the season. He's an interesting guy to watch. Probably a 2021 prospect, but still a player that you're going to want to see in this game. Another player you're going to want to see, also a Senior Bowl invite, is linebacker Evan Weaver, a tackling machine, really puts up numbers, especially without teammate Jordan Kanoshik, who also put out numbers last season. For the Illini, not really a ton of intrigue here, especially when we're looking at 2020. Top prospect is probably offensive tackle Vidarian Lowe, who we discussed over the summer in our Big Ten preview. But again, he's a 2021 prospect, barring some sort of surprise declaration here. And you want to see Evan Weaver against Reggie Corbin of Illinois, who's had a terrific year, who some people think could be a late-round pick. I have him as a priority free agent. You know, Reggie Corbin is quick. He's explosive. He's got great initial burst in that first five to ten yards. He's a creative ball carrier. He's the type of ball carrier 
that can give Evan Weaver problems. So we'll see. I mean, Weaver did well against uh, uh, against the Arizona State uh, running back when we talked about him. This is another tough challenge for Weaver when he goes up against Illinois and their running back, uh, Reggie Corbin. Keep an eye on Dale Harding, the middle linebacker for Illinois. Another guy who was not even mentioned by scouts coming into the year. He's a taller, thin guy, but he's really improved his game. He's gone from non-entity in the draft world to a guy that could be a priority free agent. He's got to get a little bit physically stronger. Where's number nine in the middle of that Illinois defense? But a guy who has really turned himself into a prospect with this play this year, uh, which was surprise. I mean, a surprising season for Illinois. If you remember the first month of the campaign, everyone's talking about fire Lovey Smith. They go on a winning streak. They beat Wisconsin, and now they're in a bowl game. In our last bowl game to discuss, the Capital One Orange Bowl between Florida and Virginia. A bunch of top prospects here for the Gators. Only cornerback C.J. Henderson isn't going to play, skipping the game after declaring for the draft himself. Pass rushers Jonathan Grenard and Jabari Zuniga will play. Zuniga hasn't played since early November due to a high ankle sprain. Really been a nagging injury for him all year. Only made two starts in the last nine games of the season. Running back LaMichael Pirine and wide receiver Van Jefferson will also play. We'll see Pirine at the Senior Bowl and Jefferson at the Shrine Game. The top Cavaliers prospects are all on defense. No Bryce Hall. Obviously, he was lost for the season. But linebackers Jordan Mack and Charles Snowden, as well as safety Joey Blunt, are all playing. And we'll have a shot at stopping Pirine and trying to limit that Gators offense. You know, you really want to watch. You mentioned Zuniga. You mentioned Grenard. How do they do against Bryce Perkins, the quarterback of Virginia? A lot of people like him. I think he's going to have to find a new position. I think at the end, if he wants to play at the next level, I think he's a good college quarterback who just doesn't project that well. But we know this about Bryce Perkins. He's lethal carrying the ball. He's quick-footed. He plays the quarterback position like a running back. So you want to see if Zuniga on the inside, but more specifically John Grenard on the outside, who's had a terrific season and really went from a last-day guy into the second day of the draft, how he does against Bryce Perkins. Does he show discipline? Does he pin his ears back and just rush up the field? And when Perkins leaves the pocket or takes off up the field, as he often does, is Grenard able to track him down and make the tackle? The big question about Grenard's game is his long speed. That's going to be uh, challenged here. That's going to be uh, put to the test here against Bryce Perkins. And that's it for the 102nd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter, who we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back again Monday with another episode to break down the bowl game schedule for early next week. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.